0: Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It's Tuesday, November 15th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by political writer Tal Schneider and diplomatic correspondent Laser Berman. Hello to you both. Good morning. Hi, Jessica. Good morning. So we're going to talk about the 25th Knesset being sworn in today as well as the ongoing coalition negotiations and whether ambassadors to Israel will meet with far-right politician Itamar Ben-Gvir. Russia's Kremlin has weighed in on Netanyahu's win, and we'll also talk about what happened at the UN yesterday. We'll get into all of that right after the break.
1: A scrappy army fighting three enemies, an unlikely victory, and a country forever changed. Join host Dr. Noam Weissman for a special Unpacking Israeli History mini-series, where he shares the story of the Six-Day War as you've never heard it before. Travel back to 1967 as Noam recounts the tense lead-up to war, the fierce battles fought, and the aftermath that continues to affect Israel to this day. But what led to this war? How did Israel emerge victorious? And how have the outcomes impacted Israel's position in the region and the world between then and now? Unpack the six days that changed Israel forever in this three-part special of Unpacking Israeli History. Listen to these episodes and more wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media.
0: Okay, Tal, let's get started with you. The 25th Knesset is being sworn in today, but not the 37th government, Netanyahu's new government, because coalition agreements have yet to be concluded and finalized. What can you tell us? What are your expectations?
2: Um, right, Jessica. So the negotiation between the parties, mainly between the Likud and the rest of the the parties that are supposed to build this new coalition, uh, were put on hold uh, about 48 hours ago, and they're not yet to be resumed. Netanyahu originally expected to swear in the government very fast. He wanted to do it actually today, at the same day of the swearing in of the Knesset. But it didn't work. Uh, there is uh, what we call fight at the top. Smotrich, this, uh senior partner uh, for this new government, uh, coming from the Religious Zionist uh, Party, you know, he wants to be either a finance minister or defense minister. Those two jobs Netanyahu wishes to give to someone else. Uh, specifically, he wants the defense minister to come from his own party, whereas he probably agrees to grant uh, Derry, his other um, you know, top partner, the head of Shas, the finance uh, ministry. So as long as they cannot decide on the division of these uh, important taps, you know, important jobs, top ministers are, you know, foreign affairs, uh, defense, and finance. So Smotrich actually did a year of and four months of service when he was at the age of 28. That's very very late. Uh, usually soldiers do it at the age of 18. Uh, it is shorter than uh, mandatory military service for a regular. Um, you know, regular soldiers, and it's also a bit shorter than the usual has their army service for religious men. So uh, this is what he did as a military service. It's what it was not anyways, it was not a combative role. On the other hand, when we talk about Derry, uh, the chair of Shas for being finance minister, let me just uh, remind our uh, listeners that Derry was convicted in Two charges. Uh, one, you know, dated back, uh, you know, many years ago. But the other one, just less than twelve months, he was convicted in tax evasion. He was convicted in a plea bargain uh, upon his admission. And uh, back at the time, he promised to not go not go back into the public life and touch public money. And now he's slated to be finance minister. So we are expecting a slew of um, of appeal to the high court to to block that. Uh, There was some talk last night about Derry becoming the defense minister, which is also a surprising and yet another unbelievable maneuvering because Derry served three weeks in the military. Again, um, some sort of an arrangement that allowed him to just be, you know, he, he entered the public life at a very early age before he, before he was, you know, he was 26 at the time. So he did like this kind of, it's not really a military service. And he is representing a party in which they um, encourage young people of Israel to go study in yeshivas and not serve in the military. Many of them are exempt by the country, but there is also military, um, you know, mandatory service, and they they avoid it. So under under all of those arrangements, so it's kind of weird to have someone who has no military background encourage young people to study and not to serve to become the defense minister. Tal, what could happen here if Smotrich doesn't
0: get what he wants and Derry doesn't get what he wants? You know, we keep on saying how this, this coalition in many ways is very stable, but in reality, if they don't get the ministerial appointments that they want, what could end up happening?
2: I think uh, for now I can only say that the, the, the you know the most interesting thing that can happen is that they will stretch the negotiation for 28 days. Uh, the 28, the counting of the 28 days started this Sunday, so um, two days ago. So it can go on for three and a half weeks. Uh, as of as of now, uh, this is you know probably. The um, I would say worst-case scenario for them. If you are, if you're looking for an answer of uh, building a coalition with Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid, that's I think that's not the case. If you're looking for an answer of a new gov- of a new election, that's not the case as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, they will find a solution, I suppose. Right, some
0: kind of solution. All right, thanks for that explanation. Laser, Russia's Kremlin welcomed Netanyahu back to office. Uh, seemed like very open arms. Obviously not in person yet. Uh, What does that say? Explain it to us, please.
3: Yeah, so there's been a lot of anticipation uh, whether Netanyahu and Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, will have a phone call. I assume they will at some point. And then the question is, what will the return of Netanyahu mean for Russian-Israel relations? I remind the listeners that for Netanyahu's previous 12 years, this was before the Russian invasion, Netanyahu was probably the Western leader with the warmest personal relations with Vladimir Putin. And Israel has certainly embraced that role as a certainly a Western country, but one that is not anti-Russian, one that is able to maintain, uh, perhaps uniquely, um, open channels of access both both in Washington and Moscow. Under the Lapid Bennett government, we know that uh, Israel tried to uh, walk this awkward tightrope in which they publicly made statements supporting Ukraine and sought to to show that they were in the Western camp, but also wanted to maintain uh, its ties with with Russia, especially around a military coordination in Syrian skies. Now uh, it seems like the the Russians. Uh, are hopeful about the relationship that it will get better with Israel under Netanyahu. Um, Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said in response to a question that that Russia values its constructive relations with our Israeli partners and they said it's important for us to see people at the helm uh, who share a common approach to further developing bilateral relations. so they certainly are taking the the public stance that that they're open to, to the relationship getting better. Um, let us also not forget that the relationship with Ukraine has taken a surprising downturn this week with Ukraine's uh, vote against Israel at the UN um in that that Friday that Friday vote uh calling on the International Court of Justice in The Hague to issue a ruling on on the uh, Israel's occupation of the West Bank. So Israel is certainly piqued about that. There are reports this morning, and uh, after this podcast, I need to speak to, to Ukraine's ambassador um, about Ukraine's ambassador to Israel being summoned by the foreign ministry over that vote. So this comes at a time when, when uh, Kiev-Jerusalem relations are taking a surprising downturn. I don't think it will be a permanent problem, but there's certainly tensions rocking the boat right now, and Russia is fully aware of that.
0: And we'll talk a little bit later in the podcast about what happened in the UN yesterday. We're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, we'll talk about Itamar Ben-Gvir.
1: With what seems like an endless amount of information at our fingertips, we tend to forget that wondering about things is really part of the journey to finding answers we're looking for. So, when it comes to the hot topics of Israel, Judaism, and Zionism, there's so much to wonder about right now that it's hard to know where to turn. Enter the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michael Biton and Noam Weissman as they tackle these topics and the uncomfortable questions that surround them, with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners. And tune in for a special episode featuring a fellow wanderer, Kaviv Retig-Gur, out now. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to Wandering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wandering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media.
0: Okay, we're back. Tal, so we have Itamar Ben-Gvir saying that he has been meeting foreign diplomats in order to improve his international image, but no one else is claiming to have had such meetings. What do you make of all of this?
2: Right. So, um, you know, when the negotiation started, uh, Israel's president, Herzog, apparently said to Itamar Ben-Gvir, the chairperson of Jewish power, that in order to establish credentials and, you know, kind of stand among a worldwide audience, he should start just, you know, doing rounds. Why won't you start to talk to people and, and explain to them your senses? So, so people, uh, will not be afraid of you. That was, you know, some sort of the, of the content of the, of these, of this discussion with the president. We know that because the president was, uh, was caught on open mic during the negotiation. And then Ben Gvir himself issued a statement saying, yes, you're, uh, you know, uh, following the, the president advice, I, I will now, I am now, you know, meeting foreign diplomats. So, I've called diplomats, ambassadors, and other officials from Great Britain, you know, Germany, India, Japan, uh, Egypt, Australia, Greece. I called, you know, a bunch of them, really, lots of lots of uh, foreign dignities were stationed in Israel. Uh, Belgium also, yeah. Uh, none of them uh, received any kind of uh, overture from him. None of them received a phone call or anything on, on his behalf. And when I talked to these um you know diplomats, and I asked them, you know what what would you what will you do when you get the call?" they said, "You know no um all of them were very embarrassed and said, you know listen it's it's very delicate. I can't tell you what we'll do. We'll have to get you know instructions from our capitals. We don't know yet how to treat this. I actually sat yesterday with a, one of those diplomats and and she said, you know." We don't know what to do. We can't boycott the government, obviously. But we will have to take it step by step. I think everybody is looking probably to others to see what they're doing. Uh, and but, but I have to tell you, one meeting uh, was already held. Benvir managed to get a meeting with the former ambassador to Israel, uh, David Friedman, who spends lots of time in Israel, as we all know. So he was happy and cheerful to meet with Itamar Gvir in offices in Jerusalem. Uh, again, he's not the current diplomat. He's the former ambassador. I don't think Tom Nines is anywhere near close to even talking to Bengvir on the phone at the moment. Um, you know, for people who don't understand why this is a, such a big hustle, Bengvir was convicted eight times in different incitements measures and in different incitements charges against Arabs and so on. He was known to be a, a bully who just, you know, take out a gun in the middle of a market or in the middle of, of, of some kind of demonstrations. Just last week, he attended the uh, annual commemoration of Mayor Kahana, during which he said he no longer uh, think that he should expel all Arabs, but only some of them who are, you know, terrorist supporters or such. But then he went on to Twitter to call to the expel of another Knesset member, Ahmed Tibi, just because he doesn't like Ahmed Tibi ideas and concepts. And he said, I will make sure that you will be expelled to Syria. This is just coming, you know, a couple of days ago on Twitter. So this is the person, and he is going to be the next Homeland Security Minister of the State of Israel.
0: The U.S. is saying that they would not even necessarily give him a visa offer him a visa to come to the US given his uh previous actions
2: well i don't know about that but i have to tell you Itamar Ben-Gvir's former partner in uh Jewish Power is uh, so actually it was not Jewish Power it was a diff- under a different name but they were partners in the, in all of their political lives uh, Itamar Ben-Gvir is 46 or 47 so from the age of like 16 up until a year ago his partner uh was former M.K. Michael ben And Michael ben was actually banned from entering the United States because of his engagement and involvement in Kahana Kah. Um, terror organization. This is a group that is still listed under the State Department for uh, World Terror Organization. It's not in the main list of the FTO. I think it's a different list, but it's still listed. And uh, Ben Ari was also outlawed by the uh, Central Election Committee from running to the Knesset. So they ran together in 2019, just, you know, two and a half years ago. And and Ben Ari was banned, and not only him. Actually, all of the all of the leaders of Jewish power were were banned outside of Ben-Gvir. He remained the only one to uh, to stay in. By the way, Itamar Ben-Gvir started his work at the Israeli Knesset as an assistant to that Ben Ari, uh, going back like uh, twenty years ago. So, small world. Okay, thanks for that, Tal and Laser. Let's talk about.
0: What happened at the UN yesterday? Did Israel retaliate for Ukraine's vote against Israel at a committee on Friday? What's happening between Israel and Ukraine at the UN?
3: Yeah, so Israel was certainly very upset, as as I mentioned, about Ukraine's support for that uh, fourth committee measure calling that will move a vote to the General Assembly next month which will ask the International uh, Court of Justice to rule on whether Israel's occupation of the West Bank has become a permanent annexation, which would be a war crime. Um, I'll just note that Ukraine has not voted with Israel, especially in the past. So it's not like, um, you know, Ukraine was, was a reliable pro-U- pro-Israel vote uh, at the UN. But with all of what uh, Ukrainian leaders have said about why isn't Israel supporting us, you know, we have all these connections, historical, cultural and values, um, you could see why Israel would be quite frustrated with this. Now, the question is, did Israel retaliate yesterday? It certainly seems like it. Okay, so there was a vote at the General Assembly um, creating a mechanism by which Russia, should they ever agree to, which they won't, uh, would pay re- uh, reparations to Ukraine. Uh, it seems like retaliation, Israel has not ish- issued any explanation of this, but There are reports in in Hebrew media that uh, Israeli diplomats, not quoted by name, say that, no, the decision was taken ahead of time to vote against, or to abstain on this. Uh, We don't want to create a precedent by which we can be uh, called on to pay reparations um, to Palestinians. But that's what they're saying behind the scenes. This certainly feels like um, some sort of retaliation. It's important to note that Israel is the only Western country that did not vote in favor, obviously, the uh Europe and North America um, are very much united in their opposition to to russia and they they, they uh, in, in international bodies they certainly stress that um, but it's also important to note that in the Middle East most of the countries abstained so Israel is standing out as a western country but is is quite in line with some of its uh, peace partners and countries like saudi arabia so um, we I, At this point, we don't know whether it was really, um, you know, retaliation, but it certainly feels like it.
0: Will there ever be any more clarity on that?
3: It continues to escalate between Israel and Ukraine. Today, The as I said, the ambassador of Ukraine to Israel was summoned by the foreign ministry. And I'm going to get talk to him about that uh, in a couple of minutes. Um, so this is not something that Israel wants to put to bed yet. Um, you know, so what if they did indeed retaliate, I think the message has, has gotten across. We'll see whether there's further retaliation. At some point, I would expect both sides to to you know kind of tamp down on on this. It doesn't serve anyone's interest. Um and I think when BB starts taking control of the really takes control of the you know, of Israel's diplomatic mechanisms, um, you know, he'll he'll uh put his approach in as well, and which is probably going to be that this isn't serving anyone right now.
0: Got it. Okay. Thanks for that, Laser. And thank you, Tal, as well, for being with us on today's Daily Briefing. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Daily Briefing. In the meantime, have a good day. Happy listening. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to
1: Gili Amar for this -this out-of-this-world music.
0: You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts.
1: And on our mothership timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider
0: rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom.